Wonderful, wonderful praise and worship this morning. Uh, We are supposed to worship God the way that He's revealed Himself to us through the Word of God. The only way you know what God's like is because He revealed Himself in the Holy Scriptures. How did He reveal Himself in the Holy Scriptures? He revealed Himself as a trinity. Uh, When Moses said, tell me your name, remember what he said, I am that I am. It's I am the great I am. I am the bread of life. I am the way. I'm the truth and the life and the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the bread of I just I am. I am all that, basically. Wonderful worship this morning. Last week uh, we started a, a little mini series here on prayer. And last week we looked at uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. Some of you may have grown up in a tradition where you called it Our Father. And uh, in that passage of Scripture, the disciples come to Jesus. They say, Lord, teach us how to pray. As John taught his disciples, we're watching you pray. We want to know how to talk to God the way that you do. We want to pray with power. We want to pray that, uh, in a way that gets answers. We see you pray. We see what happens. Lord, teach us to pray. He started the lesson by teaching them how not to pray. So he started. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't pray to be seen. Don't pray repetition. Those things. And then he gave them the lesson on prayer. Let me summarize last week, and if you weren't here, you can go back and and listen to that. It's available for you to hear. He said, start by talking to God as your father, address him with the right protocol, and you have the privilege that others who are not in the family, you're in the family, and you talk to him as father, a loving father, our father, which art in heaven, holy, hallowed, holy is your name. You start by declaring the greatness of God. In that prayer, he moved to not my will be done, but your will be done. Surrender your will to God's will, and then acknowledge your dependence on God. And that's that little asking part on the end of the Lord's Prayer. We told you last week to remember the words, uh, the letters uh, of that, those points, D, S, and A. Don't start by asking. Start a conversation with God. Don't always start by asking. Just imagine, for those of you who are parents, if every time your child walked in, the first and only things they said to you were, give me, I need. That would get old pretty quick. At some point you would say, hey, I'm a human being here, I'd like some interaction with you, I'd like some relationship with you, I'd like some conversation with you. Uh, So does your heavenly Father. So don't start by asking. That's the prayer model that Jesus gave them in the New Testament. And I de-emphasized asking this week, uh, last week. This week, I'll emphasize the asking side because certainly it's okay to ask for your needs. He said, your father knows what you need of, have need of before you ask, but it's okay to ask. He said, ask and you shall receive. I want you to come to me. I want you to, to ask for the things you, you need. So we're going to try to find that balance in our prayer lives. And the reason I give you the other lesson first is because I want that to really stick in your mind. Don't start by asking. Okay, now today we're going to start a lesson on asking. Because God wants to answer your requests. He wants to give you uh, the desires of your heart. The Bible says when a man's ways please the Lord, he gives him the desires of his heart. And James gives us also some balance on asking appropriately, not asking for just to be bigger consumers, but asking with, with the right kind of, kind of motives. The sweet spot this morning that I want to communicate to you is that, that prayer where you're asking, but you're asking for the best things. 
You're not asking for the things that will hurt you. You're not asking for the things that will distract you from the mission that you're on for Jesus Christ. It's almost like sitting down at the kitchen table and your child looks up and says, Can I have broccoli, please? And you're like, Yes. Uh, Healthy, nutritious, you know. Uh, And you're like, Yes, you're asking for the right things. Now, uh, what I'm saying is when we come to God, how it must delight God when we have enough maturity spiritually to say to our Heavenly Father, I want the things that you want me to have. I want those things that are going to bless me and bless the people around me. I want those things in my life that will not distract me from being on your mission, that will help me be on your mission, that will help me, empower me to do the things you want me to do. I want to be spiritually healthy and I want you to give me those things that will make me the best follower of Jesus Christ that I can be. And so what's optimal is when we're asking for the things that God wants us to ask for and asking for the things that will bless not only our lives. Some of you are beginning really to to, to hone in on this now in your spiritual transformation. God wants to bless you, but He wants to bless you in such a way that your cup begins to overflow and you become a blessing to everyone around you. The blessings of God are not just for you. He wants to bless you to make you a conduit a channel of blessing to people around you. And when you tune into that, it's like God's blessings come in and then you filter it right back out to the scores and scores of people that you have relationships with. Now let me begin here this morning that sometimes my behavior is self-destructive. Let's see if you can relate to me a little bit. That's why we have in the English language sayings like, I'm my own worst enemy. Have you ever been your own worst enemy? We have statements like this in the English language. I keep shooting myself in the foot. Uh, it means I, 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 I'm, you know, I, I'm hurting myself continually. Uh, we have sayings like this. I can't seem to get out of my own way. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm messing myself up. Well, we have those sayings for a reason. Because the truth is sometimes I cause pain. And I want to move beyond hurting myself and hurting the people around me. I want to be a blessing. I want to be blessed by God so that I can be a blessing to those around me. Unfortunately, everybody in the room, if you've lived at all, everyone in the room has caused pain to someone else. This is the truth. Some, the pain you caused, you caused it intentionally. Some of the pain you caused, you caused it unintentionally. But either way, we've all caused pain to others, and we don't want to be a source of pain to others. So this morning, I want to take you all the way back to the Old Testament. We get to the fourth chapter of First Chronicles, is where our lesson will come from this morning. When you get over to First Chronicles chapter 4, it's a genealogy, and I know we typically just skip right over those things because it's just so-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so-and-so, the sons of so-and-so, the dukes of Edom are these, and it just your eyes glaze over. And that's normal, so don't, don't freak out about that. It's just hard reading when you read those, but they're in the Bible for a reason. And uh, this particular genealogy, you get the family tree of Judah. Judah's one of the 12 tribes. He's a man, but he's one of the 12 uh, sons there in, in Abraham's family tree. And the tribe of Judah, he, his lineage is laid out there. And, and we are introduced to a man named 
Jabez. Jabez is a descendant of Judah. His whole life story is in the Bible, contained in only two verses. So it's very compacted, almost an epitaph type, you know, just two-sentence form. It tells the story of who he is. One of the things we learn about Jabez is that he was a man of prayer, and those two verses construct for us an Old Testament lesson on prayer from a man whose life was blessed by God, but a man whose life was messy. Now, you're going to figure out in a minute how we deduce all of this from two sentences, but his life was messy. Now, I'll say that out loud and, and stress this. Because when we talk about people in the Bible whose God's hand was on them and they were blessed and they were rich and they were, you know, everything they touched turned out right, you just think, well, I can't relate to that person because my life is not structured that way. I I, I get sick and I have problems and I cause pain and, and my life's a bit messy. Here's what I want you to know. The men and women you read about in the Bible, their lives were as messy as your life. Just as messy as your life. And Jabez, this guy who... Uh, gives us a powerful, well, probably one of the most famous prayers in the Bible, certainly in the Old Testament. This man had a bit of a messy start. Let me read for you First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Now, I don't know what kind of scoundrels they were. The Bible doesn't tell you lots, okay? But he was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying... Because I bore him in pain. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. Uh, Jabez, as an infant coming into this world, caused his mother a great deal of pain. That's the fact. Now, you don't get lots of details. Just two sentences here is all you get, okay? So you have to read between the lines. Uh, Coming into this world caused his mom lots of pain. Okay, there were some serious complications in the delivery. Would that be fair? Something happened in the delivery of this baby boy named Jabez that, that took his mother through the valley of the shadow of death and her delivery was with such pain that it nearly cost her her life. So great was her pain in delivering Jabez. I don't know if he is breach. I don't know what the deal was. But so great was her pain when she delivered the child. She named him... This kid is a pain. Because I bore him. That's his name. That's what it means. This kid is a pain. Now I just want to ask you, just don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to think. How would you like to go through life in every business meeting, in every interview, in every class when they're calling roll out loud, and everybody knows you by, you're a pain in the, you're a pain. That's what you are. You're, ne- you're a pain? Present. Okay. Hi, my name is, I'm a big pain in the rear end. I'd like to have your business at my company. How do you think that affected his career? Now, I just want you to grasp that for a minute. Okay? She, she, she had such pain that she named the, the child, he is a pain. Now, that got my mind going crazy, okay? And so I, I'm researching and, and, and looking up fascinating facts uh, uh, for hours on end. And I'll just summarize it down for you a little bit. 
One study finds that people with unusual or embarrassing names is four times more likely to get into trouble than people with ordinary names. Now, I'm going to give you a great parenting lesson right now. Some of you may want to write Austin and undo some things that you've done in your family, okay? If you name your child something very unusual, they're four times more likely to get into serious trouble than kids who have normal names. Melissa Willits of Parenting Magazine wrote, You may want to think twice before you pick a hard-to-pronounce or kind of out-there moniker for your little one. That's because a name that is perceived as too different may actually have adverse effects on your child later in life. That study went on to say that when you're in the business world and you're trying to make a business transaction or do a sale or do a presentation, if you have a complicated name, you're multiple times less likely to be heard by your audience than if your name is Alan, Dan, Jack, John, Bill, Sue, Mary, Tammy, Leticia. Oh man, you may be in trouble, Leticia. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Greg. My name's Greg. It's a good manly name. Greg, good to meet you. What do you got to sell, Greg? They say when you've got a simple, straightforward name that your message is received multiple times greater, faster, instant credibility with people than, than if you have a complicated name. Just, not my studies, not my, I'm just reading for you what I found. Gina Briner, Live Science, wrote, one-fifth of parents in a British study now wish they had chosen a name that was easier to spell. 8% are fed up with people being unable to pronounce their child's name, and 1 in 10 thought the chosen name was clever at the time, but now the novelty is worn off. Just bear that in mind, okay? BBC writer William Kramer wrote, Early studies found that men with uncommon first names were more likely to drop out of school and be lonely later in life. Yeah, who can get a date? Hi, I'm a jerk. Hi, I'm a pain. That's what my parents named me. I'm a pain. Would you like to go out on a date? No way. If your family don't like you, nobody's going to like you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? They, they get paid to love you. Uh, so you understand what's happening here. One study found that, psychiat in, that psychiatric patients with more unusual names tended to be more disturbed than the psychiatric patients that didn't have the complicated names. It's even true in the nut house is what I'm saying. Many times in research, I found that the unusual name was typically not the catalyst for how a child turned out, but the unusual name was only a symptom of unusual parents. Are you with me? With unusual parenting styles who named their kids something unusual because the parents were nuts. That's what, I'm, that's what I think my thesis is going to be on this. Conley, a sociologist at New York University, said that children with unusual names may learn impulse control because they're teased or get used to people asking about their unusual name. Now, Conley cites some benefits. Now, this is kind of like a boy named Sue. Eventually, you've got to get tough. You see what I'm saying? And you've got you to be pretty tough to be able to have a name like Sue. And uh, what he said is, some people, it gives them a good benefit. That's all what he's saying. The actual benefit, though, from that experience by learning to control their emotions or their impulses, which is, of course, a great skill for success. But for the main part, the effect of a name 
on its bearer rarely amounts to more than the effect of being raised by parents who would choose such a name. I think I agree with this sociologist here. So now let's think about what happened. Now, now I want you to see, we're going back to First Chronicles 4. Not much has changed throughout history, has it? That's what I want you to see. For, for 6,000 years, it's kind of the same old story here when it comes to this. Here's a boy, came into the world, causing his parents pain. So in turn, his parents decided to cause him some pain. What do you think about that? What do you all think about that? Hurt his mother. Mother decided to hurt him. And you think, well, that's terrible. Yeah, but isn't it true? Isn't it true too? Right here. One of our responses to being hurt is to hurt back. And a, and a life not guided by the Holy Spirit, the first response to being hurting people hurt people. It's our first response. So here's a mother who was hurt. She said, I'll hurt you right back, you little brat. You about killed me. I'm going to name you. You're, you're, a, you're a pain. She suffered physical pain. But what she inflicted upon Jabez was emotional and psychological pain. Boy, if I'm reading that right, and I'm understanding my own generation right, and the counseling we have to do, and, and what happens in our world right here, it's exactly the same. People are hurting people. And people are hurt, they hurt somebody else. Somebody hurt a parent and then the parent turns around and is a terrible parent to their kids, abuses their kids or verbally abuses them or psychologically abuses them in some way. Isn't that the cycle that many, many, many families are trapped in even at this hour? I wish it were not true. But the truth is sometimes our family hurts us. I wish it were not true, but sometimes we hurt our family. Now, I know everybody in here has suffered some hurt. It's part of the human experience. Some of that hurt is long-lasting, extreme, long-lasting hurt. Some of it is not so deep and, and, and temporary, and it fades, but we all experience. So the big question is, what do you do when pain invades your life? How do you go from being a family that hurts each other to being a family that the hand of God is on, and you're a family who's blessed of God? Because that's exactly why you come into the house of God this morning. Because you'd like to transform some things about your life. You want God to do some things where that same cycle, that same pattern of hurting one another doesn't get passed down one more generation. Stops right here. And we become a different kind of parent. We become a different kind of family. Transformed by the Holy Spirit. So that as we're living our lives out, we no longer have to hurt the people around us is there blessing to be found for our families and our lives after the experience of pain like this so the first step really is to find yourself now i know this is a little cliche but uh, i'm going to take it just a slightly different way but everyone does need to discover their self and it's really through a relationship with Christ and the Word of God that you really will discover who you are and what your purpose in life and why you were created. Matter of fact, there's no other book on the planet that can tell you how you got here and why you got here and what the purpose is for your life other than the Word of God. It is that book. And so you need to find yourself, but let me take it this way, you need to find yourself in the Word of God. Did you know that somewhere you are in the Bible? Whatever you're going through, somewhere it's in the Scripture. 
That thing that you've lived that's been a part of your experience, somewhere it's in the Word of God. The Bible is like a mirror, we learn. Uh, we, we learn other things, that the, the Bible is, can discern things that are inside of us and help us figure out things that are going on inside of us that we can't figure out. There's a great uh, treatise on it in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, for the Word of God is living. It's not a dead old book that's dusty. It's a living and active word of, book, uh, word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow. It means it can get way down deep inside of you and discern the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. Sometimes you do things you don't even know why you do them. The Word of God will help you sort that out. Sometimes you experience things that don't make sense. The Word of God will help you make sense out of your life. So here's what happened. Jabez came into the world. He was named European. And he trying to figure out how to go forward with his life as a man. And so he got into the Word of God and found himself. He discovered himself on the pages of God's Word. Let me show you. First Chronicles 4.10. Here's what it says. Jabez called upon the God of Israel. Now, before Israel was a nation, Israel was the name of a man. God came to a man named Jacob and renamed him Israel, gave him 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Right, because Israel was a man's name that became a nation of people. So when the Bible says that Jabez called upon the God of Israel, it's not talking about the nation It's talking about Jabez got into the Word of God, and as he's reading through the Word of God, looking for some answers to his life, he discovered another man who was similar to himself. Let me see if I can explain this to you. His Bible wasn't big like your Bible. There's only certain books at this point. But as he was reading his Bible back in Genesis chapter number 35, it tells a story about how this man named Jacob had to... A woman that was his true love. Rachel was his true love. And it tells about how Rachel was near the delivery of the child. And they were traveling uh, not far from uh, Bethel, down near Bethlehem. And as they were traveling through the Judah part of the territory, uh, her water broke. She, She went into labor. Genesis 35, let me read it. They journeyed from Bethel. And when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. Well, there's a lot to be said right there, isn't there? Now, I wouldn't propose to tell you women what this means. I guess you could preach the rest of this sermon. She went into hard labor. Things got really tough now. The baby wouldn't come. She went into hard labor, and when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying. Yeah, I'd say it's pretty hard labor, wouldn't you? I mean, so much is compacted into these sentences right here. Hard labor doesn't really describe what she was going through. She's about to die, bringing this child into the world. And as her soul was departing, the midwife says, you've got a baby boy. You've got a beautiful, beautiful boy here. In her dying breath, 
she named him Benoni or Benoni. Benoni means son of my sorrow. She finally delivered the baby. She's about to die. The midwife says, you have a beautiful baby boy. And she says, he killed me. That's what it means. The son who killed his mother. Son of my sorrow. Son who killed me. Son who made me die. She named him, Ben is son. Son of my death. Son of my sorrow. You killed me. It's what it means. Hi, my name's I killed my mother. I'd like you to buy these widgets from me. Dude, if you killed your mother, I don't want to do business with you. Uh, let's take roll. Gregory, present, Damon, guy who killed his mother. How do you think that went over in school? She said, I'm going to name him. You killed your mother. Watch dad step in right here. But his father called him what? Benjamin. When Jabez was reading his Bible... Jabez is reading Genesis 35, and he's like, no way! This sounds just like my family. My mom named me something just like that. This sounds just like my family. I've just met myself on the pages of the Word of God. By the way, if you'll get into the Bible, God will reveal yourself as well. He will reveal you as well. You'll be reading along, and the Holy Spirit will be working on your heart, and you'll be under conviction You may laugh at times, you may cry at times, you may get under conviction at times, you may rejoice at times, you you may stop and pray at times and confess some sin, you may stop and pray and give thanks right in the middle of your Bible reading, but you will find yourself on the pages of the Word of God. Notice that Jacob named his son, she said, he killed me. Jacob stepped right in and said, no, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to name him Benjamin, son of my right hand. Now why did Jacob not honor his true love's name for the son, for, 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 for the boy. Why? Rachel was his dearly loved wife, I'm telling you. He had four of them. Rachel was the one he loved. Okay? You say, why did he not honor her wish? I'll tell you why. Listen carefully. Because Jacob had a real problem with naming a son something derogatory. Do you know Why? Because his daddy named him something derogatory. And Jacob said, I never will do to my son what my daddy did to me. I've had to live with this all my life. And when the mother who was hurting said something vengeful towards her baby who had no control over any of this, innocent victim if you would, the dad stepped right in and said, we'll not hurt our kid the way that my dad... That pain stops right here in our family. Now, I'm just talking about something, but maybe the Holy Spirit's talking to you about something else right now. Some kind of pain that your parents caused you and you find yourself every once in a while wanting to do that to your kid in some way. Stop it right now. And that's what Jacob did. He said, we're not going to do that. And I'll tell you why we're not going to do that. He's not going to be called, I killed my mother. I never would do that to my son. It's exactly what my dad did to me. Do you know what Jacob means? It means the guy who kicks your feet out from under you. It means heel catcher, foot snatcher. It means supplanter in the old KJV. You know what that really means? Extortioner. Deceiver. Crook. Hi. 
my name is, I'm going to steal all of your money. I'd like to know if you'd like to do a business contract with me. How do you think that played out? And by the way, every time Jacob tried to do business, the people he did business with tried to swindle him. Because they knew he was a swindler. Because that was his name. Does that make sense? Laban changed his wages like ten times to get Rachel and Leah. It was a big disaster the way people treated him. And part of the way the people treated him was because of what his dad called him. Called him a crook. Called him an extortioner. Let's take roll. Greg? Present? Damon? Extortioner? Steal all of your stuff? Are you here this morning? Good. How do you think that went over in school? That's all I'm saying. How do you think that affected his career? How do you think that affected how people perceived him? But see, here's what God did for Jacob. One day, Jacob made, put a pillow, a stone for his pillow and laid down there near Bethel. And one day, God appeared to Jacob And the Bible explains it, and there Jacob wrestled with a man until the breaking of the day. It was the angel of the Lord. And he's wrestling with God. He grabbed God by the feet, and he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man, whoever it was, some angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, if you would, as he's got a hold of him, he said, let me go for the day is breaking. And when the sun comes up, I don't want to be discovered here and have to explain who I am to your company. And let me go. Get your arms off of me. And Jacob wouldn't let him go, and he reached down and touched him. Do you remember this? And he crippled one of his legs. He said, you're going to let me go. And when he touched Jacob, his, his thigh withered, the Bible says. And Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. And finally, God looks at Jacob and says, you're no longer going to be called Jacob. Sir, your name is now Israel. And you know what? The blessing of God was upon his life. He no longer had to go into a business meeting and say, hi, I'm here to steal your stuff. Good to meet you. Now he walks in and he says, I'm I'm God's chosen. I am Israel. I, I, I am God's man. How do you think that affected his life? He got a new name is what I'm saying. When God changed his heart and God transformed the man, then God also changed his name to Israel. Here's what it means. It means if you arrived here this morning with a load of problems, then God can touch your life and give you a new heart and give you a new future and give you a new name. It means if when you arrive At a moment where you can meet with God, if you arrive with bitterness, God can take that away and He can touch your life and He can send you home with joy. If you came with what feels like a curse upon you, God can lift the gloom and the clouds and the curse off of you and He can send you on a new way as a blessed person with a heart full of joy. If you walk in as an orphan, you can walk out as an adopted child of God with a father who will care for you and love you the way a father should love you. Now, Jesus Christ, what we learn later in the New Testament, is a specialist when it comes to life transformation. So what we learn about the New Testament, that you are saved to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're to be transformed by Jesus Christ. Now, every person here has experienced this to a small, depending on where you are in your spiritual journey, or to a great extent in your life. Many of you are not the same men and women you used to be a few years ago. That's what I'm saying to you. 
And many of you sitting here this morning, you're going to look back to these days because in a few months or a few years, you're not going to be the same people you are right now. Because God has His hand on your life and you're being transformed right now to be more like Jesus Christ. Now, this prayer, there's the background to it, you've got to get that or you don't understand the prayer. This prayer models for us someone whose life was hurt, and it happens to be by his family. His life was hurt. He got down on his knees. He poured out his heart to God. And he was more honorable than all of his family. And God reached down and ministered to him until he became a transformed and blessed new person. His prayer models four basic requests. Very quickly, let me give them to you. His first request is, bless me. First Chronicles 4.10, Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me. Now it's worded in this... Uh, Intense type of language. Oh, pleading with God that you would bless me. Now, here's what I'm saying. Catch this now. Not give me a car. Not a single blessing. Not I want a house. Not I want a wife. Not I want this gadget or I want this thing. There's nothing wrong with praying for specific things. I think you should be specific in your prayers. But this prayer is at a much higher level. This is a prayer that's like Jacob's prayer and like Abraham's prayer. He's not asking for the specific item. He's praying in general for the hand of God to bless his life and be upon him. Now, here's the thing about Abraham. Abraham was wealthy, but he was wealthy because God had blessed him. Does that make sense? What every one of you want is not that thing as much as you want the blessing of God to rest upon you and your family. Does that make sense? You want the blessing of God. Because when you have the blessing of God, all those other little things will come with it. Now, there's two big categories of blessings in the Bible. Let's get the spiritual first. God has blessed us all spiritually. Now, we learn about this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now, let me say it to you this way. Every spiritual blessing that God has for you is only available to you if you are in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And in Christ, that's like being in Fort Knox, if you would. Being in Christ, it's like being in the bank vault for spiritual blessings. If you're in Christ, in a relationship with Christ... Every spiritual blessing that God wants to give you is available to you through Jesus Christ. You say, what are spiritual blessings? There are too many to list. I'll give you a short list. Salvation would be a big one. Forgiveness would be a big one. Peace, joy, purpose, hope, contentment, and a million other things like that are spiritual blessing access. Spiritual blessings that are available through Jesus Christ. But there's also... A sense in which we pray for God's material blessings upon us. We're not just asking for joy. Sometimes we're asking for monetary things. Sometimes we're asking for material things. Proverbs 10, is a great verse. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. Now in the Old Testament, this is 100% true. You look at the people in the Old Testament who prayed down God's blessing and God's blessing was upon their life. They were all 
wealthy individuals, okay? The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, if you wonder about that curious ending, here's why it's written that way. Some people are blessed with riches. Some people are cursed with riches. And the guy who wrote this would be somebody who knew. Solomon. You see, what he's saying is if material things pull you away from God, you'd be better off to be poor. You say, well, I I wish God would make me rich. Why? We can't handle it. You say, how do you know we can't handle it? Because we don't have it. Does that make sense? Uh, Because we we, we we can't handle it. Uh, And God's not giving it to us because we can't handle it. That's why. Uh, It's something defective in me. Does that make sense? Something defective in my uh, materialism, maybe. The Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. You see, what God wants to do for you as a blessing could actually become a curse to your life if you can't handle it. Does that make sense? That's why God didn't give you the first person you prayed and asked him to give you to as a wife or a husband when you were 17. You say, why? Because you, that would have been a big mess. That's why. It would have been a big mess. What you thought would be a blessing would be a curse. You weren't ready. You weren't mature enough. You couldn't handle all that. One time. Does that make sense? What I'm saying this morning is uh, the guy who wrote this knows because he's the guy who God blessed with riches and he just wasted so much of his life with materialism. Uh, Solomon, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, all, is vanity, all this money, all these cars in the driveway, all of these women, all of these houses, all of these stables, all of my racehorses, all of my hot tubs, all of, my, all, of, all of this stuff has done nothing but pull my heart away from God. That's what he said at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. He couldn't handle it. Okay? So now, I'm not saying God won't make you rich. I hope you can handle it. I'm praying that we all grow up enough, right? Well, I'm praying we all spiritually mature enough that God could dump some real resources on us and we would use it very, very wisely. When Israel's, when Jacob's name was changed to Israel, it tells us in Genesis 32, 26, what he was praying that night as he held on to God. I will not let you go until you bless me. What I'm saying to the congregation this morning is Jabez prayed this way and God answered it. Jacob prayed this way and God answered it. Isaac prayed this way and God answered it. Abraham prayed this way and God answered it. Solomon reinforced it. David reinforced it and a million others in the Old Testament. One of our prayers for us and our children and our families needs to be God. I will not let go of you until you bless me. You need to wrestle with God in prayer until his blessing rests upon you and your family. How about that? You need to get down on your knees and say, God, you're going to hear from me. (laughs) You're going to hear from me. I know you know what I need, but God, I don't want just a car and a job. God, I want the blessing of Almighty God to rest upon my life. That's what I want. I want to be a blessed individual, and I want you to use me to bless the people around me. That's the first part, bless me. The second part of his prayer Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border. That means increase me. Now, let's get our thinking in the Old Testament so we'll understand this. In the Old Testament, every person was given a specific portion of land that was theirs by inheritance. Remember that? They divided up the land by tribe. And then within this family, all right, you got this plot and you got this plot and you got this plot. Everybody's given specific portions of land that was theirs by inheritance. 
The only way you could get more land in that system was you had to go take it from the enemy. Are you tracking with me? I mean, you wouldn't take my land. I'm your brother. But over there on the other side of the border, now there's territory that if you're man enough, go take it. Okay? If you're woman enough, woman warrior enough, go go take it from the enemy. And you can have all the land you can take if you're bad enough to go take it. How about that? And so he's praying, I have my portion, but God, enlarge my portion. Lord, enlarge my territory. Lord, enlarge my influence. Now, modern thinking would be a little different for you. You'd be saying, Lord, enlarge my sphere of influence. Lord, enlarge my my economy. Lord, enlarge my community. God, give me victory. Lord, help me, in a spiritual sense, help me to take territory that belongs to the enemy. Now, we're in a spiritual warfare, the New Testament teaches us, and part of what Cornerstone is doing is we're trying to take territory from the enemy. Let's don't be ashamed to say it out loud. We're, we're trying to go take people who are bound by Satan and set them free through the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring them over to the other side. And we've done it by the thousands. By the thousands we've done it. And our goal is to take territory held by the enemy. And for our friends watching on the other side of the world right now, do it. Take enemy territory and shine the light of the gospel and make disciples And take what was a stronghold of demonism and animism and idolatry and liberate that place in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk around your community and pray the blessing of God down on it. Do a walk around prayer. Evangelize that community. Disciple those people. Take the territory away from the powers of darkness and deliver it into the kingdom of light. Now you have a perfect right to pray, God, expand my wealth. You have a perfect right to pray that. Expand my possessions. Expand my territory. Expand my business. God, promote me at work. God, let my department shine over the other departments. God, let me be promoted among my peers. God, but in a spiritual sense, we should also be praying, God, enlarge your kingdom through me. God, enlarge my discipleship ministry. Now, here's what's unique. If you're a visitor at Cornerstone and you're not a member or you're just a new member, here's what's very unique at Cornerstone. We may look the same on the outside, but we fundamentally operate in a very different way. We believe that every person in this room is called to make a disciple for Jesus Christ. You get that mission accomplished, then find you another one. And you're, every person in this church is given a ministry by Jesus Christ. Therefore, this church facilitates... Every member of this church having a ministry. You have the perfect right to get on your knees this morning and say, God, expand my ministry. Just as a pastor would pray it, you pray it. God, expand my influence. Expand my disciple-making ministry. God, let me lead to Christ and disciple those people who could be difference makers in the community and in the business world. Let every one of us be praying, God, expand the ministry. God, let's move back darkness. Let's push back evil through what you're going to do through my life. See, now normally we would think, yes, bless the pastor so he can push back the powers of Satan. I'm saying make it personal. I'm saying you pray, Lord, use me, use you to push back the powers of darkness. Lord, use me, expand my ministry. Third part of the prayer is this, empower me. Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me 
and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me. That's praying for the empowerment of God upon your life. Now let me see if I can explain very, very quickly. All through the Old Testament, for those of you who have electronic resources to do searches or Strong's Concordances, you'd be amazed to look up the right hand, the right arm, the arm of God, by the hand of God. Look up those phrases this week if you want a fun Bible study. And read in the Old Testament how many times God steps out and He says, with my right hand I will deliver you. By the power of my right arm I will be with When God starts talking about His arm, let me just say it like this, God's got guns. You understand what I'm saying? And if you don't believe it, read the Old Testament. Read the book of Psalms. Let me, let me just give you a few. Deuteronomy 9.29 For they are your people and they are your heritage whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Listen, when the, the arm of God goes out over you, the power of God is going to rest upon you. Does that make sense? Let me read another. Exodus 15, talking about bringing them out of Egypt. Your right hand, O Lord, your glorious, uh, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Man, you read those psalms. Sometimes the psalmist will say the right hand of God. He has knocked Satan in the mouth and broken his teeth, one of the psalms says. Talking about the right hand of God in protect, empowering your life. Psalms 20, verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer Him from His holy heaven with the saving might of His right hand. Boy, when God starts talking about His arms, you, you, better, you better look up. Because the power of God is coming down in a delivering, empowering type of way. So when he says, God, that your hand might be on, that your right arm, that delivering, saving might of God. I mean, when you read about Samson and David and Goliath, and you read about those Gideons of the Old Testament, that's what he's talking about. That your right hand, that your strong arm might be upon my life. Here's what he's praying. He's saying, God, I want you to be the source of my success. God, I want you to be the power that guides my life. God, I want, when, when, when I have success and I win great victories, and, and, and I want to be able to look up and say, my God did that. Because his hand, his arm is upon me. The book of Nehemiah echoed the exact same thing. Nehemiah has to go talk to the king. He asks for a blank check from the king who rules the world. He said, I want your checkbook because the hand of God is upon me. And when he went and talked to the king, that's basically what he told him. The hand of God is good upon me. The king said, why should I give you my checkbook and let you go back and rebuild Jerusalem? He said, because God's hand is on my life. The king said, okay then, okay, okay. Here's the check, just go and do it. Listen, would to God that we had the courage to live that way. Where we would just set, walk out of here with victory and say, the hand of God is upon my life. And because God's hand is upon my life, I'm going to be successful. But I'm also going to know where my success comes from. It doesn't come by my strength, not by my might. But it comes because the hand of God is upon my life. Let me ask you this question. If the hand of God can be upon someone, why not you? Have you ever considered this this morning? I mean, page after page of the Bible is saying the hand of God is the hand of God was upon him. The hand of God came upon him. If the hand of God can be upon a man or a woman, and there's many women as well, 
If the hand of God can be upon a man or woman, why not you? You say, well, I don't live in the Bible times. Stop it. God's not dead. Holy Spirit's not out of business. As a matter of fact, you have a better scenario than all the people in the Old Testament have. You have the Holy Spirit of the living God living inside of you. And really, every Christian should be able to say, the hand of God is within me. The arm of God is working in my life. It's not me, but it's, Paul said, Christ living in me, living through me. Well, that's, that's quite a victorious way to live. God loves you. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to do His will through your life. Here's the last part of the prayer. Lastly, he prayed, protect me. You have the right to pray this as well. Listen to what he said. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me, that you would keep me from harm, keep me from evil, so that it might not bring me pain. You have the right this morning to get on your knees and say, God, keep me from hurting myself. Keep me from shooting myself in the foot. God, keep me from hurting myself because I'm prone to hurt myself. God, keep me from hurting my family. God, keep me from hurting my coworkers and my neighbors. God, help me to be more like you. God, I don't want to hurt others and I don't want to be hurt. God, protect me so that I can live with joy and with peace. And if you're tired of hurting or you're tired of hurting others, I want you to know that God can transform your life this morning. This was very similar to what Jesus prayed in that model prayer last week where he got down on his knees. He said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Same prayer. Jabez is praying right here. God, keep evil away from my kids. Keep evil away from my wife and I. Protect our relationship. Protect our marriage. Protect our home. Protect our family. God, protect my business, protect our church. May your hand of protection surround us, Lord, that we would operate safely. Lord, that we wouldn't hurt each other, that people wouldn't hurt us. Watch the end of this prayer. And God granted his request. Yes, God said. To which, all four, yes, God said. I will have my hand on you. I will protect you. I, I will bless you. I will. And God answered his prayer. And I want you to know you pray like this, God will answer yours as well. Listen, if God were to bless you and you were to receive this great blessing from God, if his blessing was upon you and you turned around and became a blessing to the people that were in your life, your family, your friends, your disciples, your neighbors, your workers, co-workers, your community, if God blessed you and you turned around and became a blessing to the people around you, wouldn't that look just like the Christianity in the New Testament and the Old Testament? Yes, it would. And that's what I'm praying God will do in your life. Let me recap it quick. Ready? Bless me. Increase me. Empower me. Protect me. I think that's something all of us can pray right now. If you don't have this written, I'm going to leave it up for a minute where you can make a note. Nice little formula to follow this week in your prayer time. You know our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know that prayer, but here's the Old Testament version now. Don't start by asking. Remember that lesson. Now build on it. Now when you start asking, bless me, increase me, empower me, protect me. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let's make some decisions this morning. I began 
one of the points by talking about the spiritual blessings we have are in Jesus Christ. If you're not in Jesus Christ, those things are not available until you get in Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If not, the most important step in your life, the starting place, is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning. Everything that God wants to do in your life will flow through that relationship. There is no other way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets saved. No man goes to heaven. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you're ready to take that step and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to pray with me right now. And I want you to confess that you're a sinner and ask Jesus to come into your heart and save you and be the Lord of your life. Pray like this. Dear God, I bow before you this morning and I confess to you that I am a sinner. I need a Savior. I need help. I need outside intervention. And I know that only Jesus Christ can save me. I know that He is the Son of God who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died as a sacrificial substitute on the cross, was buried and rose again to be my Savior. I believe that. I confess that. And this morning, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord and Savior of my life. I receive you as my God and my King and my Savior. This morning, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. All. All. Completely. All of my sins. Wash me and cleanse me, Lord. I accept your forgiveness this morning. Lord, now I need to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Fill me now. And guide me. Bless me. Protect me. Empower me. God, may your hand be upon my life now as I live for you. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer in these next few moments, I want you to slip out of your seat. Or if you prayed that prayer in past weeks, Romans 10 says, somewhere along the way you need to tell someone, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you need to tell somebody that you got saved. It's healthy. It won't make you make a speech. Nobody's going to make you come up here. Nobody's going to embarrass you. But you need to slip out of your seat come and just tell one of these workers up here, I received Christ as my Savior. I'm not ashamed of him. He's not ashamed of me. I'm part of the family. You need to do that. It's healthy. Maybe God's speaking to your heart about being a member of this church. You understand what we're about as you come to these services. You understand our heart, our passion. Some of you have already been through the starting point process. Listen, come. Make the commitment real this morning. Commit to the team. The team will commit back to you. Be a part of the family. Don't never be afraid of commitment. This is where the blessings flow through commitment. Somewhere in these moments, just slip out of your seat and come and find one of our staff members up here and just say, I want to join the team. They know exactly how to help you. I'm going to ask the whole congregation just to stand to your feet right now. The altars are going to be open for a few minutes here. Let's pray together right now let's pray together maybe your family at the altar maybe make an altar out of your seat heads are bowed and eyes are closed let's pray together and let's just let's just pray through this for a minute let's just feel this together as a family father we bow before you this morning and lord here is our prayer god if you're still in the blessing business 
And we believe you are. Would you bless us like you blessed Abraham? Like you blessed Jabez? Like you blessed Jacob? Like you blessed others in the pages of Scripture? God, your hand was upon people. Lord, you delivered people by the power of your right arm. With a strong, outstretched arm, you did deliver your people. God, I pray that your hand would rest upon me. Upon our family. God, I pray for your blessing upon my life. God, I have need of things. But I'm not asking for things right now. I'm asking for something much bigger. God, I'm asking for the blanket, the umbrella of your blessing just to rest upon my life. And I know that will be spiritual blessings. God, I know that will be material blessings. And God, I'm not asking just so I can be a consumer and say I've got more stuff than my neighbor. God, we're asking this morning because we'd like to give some stuff to our neighbor. We'd like to give some stuff to our kids and our grand. We'd like to give some stuff to our community. God, we'd like to be a channel of blessing. We'd like to be like those Old Testament figures that dug wells that blessed everyone around them. God, would your hand be upon us? Would you enlarge our ministry this morning, God? It's really your ministry that you've committed to our hands. But God, would you enlarge our influence? Would you enlarge our church? Would you enlarge our influence? Push the borders back. Lord, let us take some enemy territory. God, overseas right now, I pray for these animist villages where Aran and Asin and their disciples are moving into dark territory. God, may the gospel shine a light in that place where it will never be the same again. God, may whole villages come to Christ. Lord, may the tribal chief come to Christ. Lord, where Koshiel is ministering with Ruth right now, God, I pray that the light of the gospel of Christ would shine into that dark, dark city and those dark mountains that dark nation and may the gospel push back the darkness may people be set free from the bondage of idolatry and demonism God we're praying right now that your hand would be upon your people Lord you can do what we cannot do and we just yield to your will we pray like you taught us last week your kingdom come your will be done right here on earth as we know it is in heaven at this hour. God, this is our prayer as a church family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.